What I think is important to know is that also here in 2022, at this cathedral that this lady's in front of, it is now illegal to feed those birds. Well, I mean, given the popularity of the movie, it would probably just be covered in bird shit 100% that, that is exactly of the time. what happened. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So that's no good, more feeding the birds. That's a good rule, though. That's a good... Yeah. I support that rule. I'm sure the birds will find people to feed them elsewhere. Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hello and welcome to today's episode. In this show, we are going to explore one of the worst accents ever performed by an actor in television or movie history. That's right. We're going to be discussing Dick Van Dyke and his terrible Cockney accent in the wonderful movie, Mary Poppins. Okay. So I also read that Dick Van Dyke was lampooned for his accent, although generally praised for his performance otherwise. Oh, he was amazing in the movie, but I, I believe his terrible job of the accent is taught by voice coaches all around the world as an example of what not to do. So here's the kicker though, or here's the real question. Did you know that when you watched it as a kid? Oh, hell no. I thought he was a baller. Yeah, I had absolutely no idea. I mean, this is we're typical ignorant Americans, right? Especially as as little kids, never been exposed to very many real British accents. Like our ear could not pick up the difference at all. When we watched this episode the other day in preparation for the show, I did not notice anything wrong with it either. In fact, I'd love to hear a little bit more of Dick Van Dyke doing that. It really doesn't grate on me either. Yeah, it, it seems fine. I guess you probably have to be British and have a pretty trained ear for that to be like, oh, that sounds terrible. But yeah, honestly, for me, Dick Van Dyke is so heartwarming that I can't I can't see anything beyond that. From a distance, he seems like a guy that'd be fun to be friends with. So he's 96 right now. I know. Doesn't look a day over 80. Yeah, he's in fantastic shape. I was really surprised to read... That he was a serious alcoholic for like 25 years of his life, which I guess when you're almost 100, you know, it's only a quarter of your life. That's a mere pittance. He also smoked for a really long time. Just amazing that he's been able to live such a long and healthy life despite having some pretty unhealthy habits for a while. I think it's because he just looks like he's smiling constantly. He <laughs> always seems happy. I feel like I. it's hard to find a picture of him where he's not bringing a little whimsy to the table. And surely that keeps you young. Yeah, I really think that's true. Having a great attitude about everything seems to be a really key ingredient in trying to live a long life. And Dick Van Dyke has certainly pulled that off. So, Well, he was the male lead in the movie Mary Poppins. The female lead was not Angela Lansbury. She did audition for the role, didn't not get Audrey it. Audrey Hepburn. No. Also considered for the role. Yeah, uh, Julie Andrews did a phenomenal job. This was her first feature film. Can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, just talk about knocking it out of the park from the get-go. So I did learn that there was a little bit of controversy with the movie version of My Fair Lady. So Julie Andrews had that role on Broadway as the lead in My Fair Lady and was pretty crestfallen when she didn't get cast in the movie. Also, Audrey Hepburn can't even sing. Like, I'm pretty sure they had to have somebody else I think it was a woman named Marnie Nixon provide the singing voice for My Fair Lady. So it was definitely a crush to poor Julie Andrews to not get the role in My Fair Lady. 
But she certainly made up for it when she got cast as Mary Poppins because that role is just pure gold, total icon. Well, yeah, she won an Oscar for Best Actress in the part. I also read that Walt Disney so badly wanted her to play the role. She was three months pregnant when they selected her, and she was a little bit nervous about taking the job, wasn't sure that she'd be able to provide the continuity they were looking for in the filming schedule. And they said, don't worry, we'll wait till after you have the baby and film it then. So she was definitely uh, someone that the directors and, and the people putting together the movie clearly wanted. And I think they made the right call. Yeah. So did you know that she not only sings as Mary Poppins, but that she also provides the whistling for the robin that we hear whistling in the musical sequence for A Spoonful of Sugar? I did know that. Did you know that she plays the part of one of the people in the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious song? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. She's just all over. You can't beat that singing voice. When you got that singing voice, you got to use it. Okay, but listen to this. Mary Poppins presents herself as being practically perfect in every way. And really, that means that Julie Andrews has to be practically perfect in every way. Isn't she? Uh, no. So her little humble brag there uh, was wrong. In the song, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, she goes and says it backwards. And I'm not practically perfect in every way. <laughs> I can't do that. But when she said it, she said rupus at the end, not repus. Super backwards oh. would not, like it's like something Cali rupus. That is totally wrong. Oh my gosh. What, I mean, I don't know why they didn't fire her. Wow. What a travesty this is. I just, I can't even believe that we liked that movie now. Yeah, I'm sure P.L. Travers was all about Julie Andrews being in the movie <laughs> until that happened. I mean, she did. She was not a fan of any of the animated parts. The lady who wrote the stories that the, the movie is based on, she hated what Walt Disney did with this. Yeah. These beloved stories she had. He just ruined them with this terrible thing. She didn't like the song. She didn't like the animation. I mean, I don't think I like her. But <laughs> She does sound pretty stodgy. So they made a movie called Saving Mr. Banks about P.L. Travers and her relationship with Disney. And even that was like really Disney-fied and doesn't tell the true story of just how much she hated the film. So in Saving Mr. Banks, there's a scene where despite all of the, you know, bickering back and forth between her and Disney over how the movie was going to come out, she sees the final product at the premiere and she loves it and she's moved to tears in real life, apparently, she was actually crying at the oh, premiere. Oh, she was moved to tears. Out of fury and, like, disappointment <laughs> that her beloved masterpiece had just been torn to shreds by Disney. She absolutely hated the movie. Yeah, so. she just seems like someone I would not want to hang out with. Uh, give me more Dick Van Dyke, less P.L. Travers. Yeah, I think if we hold the tape measure that Mary Poppins pulls out of her magic bag up to P.L. Travers, it's going to say, P.L. Travers... A little bit annoying. Good good story writer, <laughs> bad movie creator. Yeah, totally agree. I actually have never read the books, so I don't even know if I would like the books. I don't know. Well, I did read that Walt Disney was after her from some point in the 1930s, trying to get her uh, to give him the rights, allow him to buy the rights to the movie. And it took decades to make it happen because this came out in 1964. So it was a really long process to get that. But the movie was great. Uh, she didn't like the music. Chim Chim Cheree uh, was, was nominated for an Oscar. I think it actually won for best uh, original song. Uh, I did want to point out, though, that 
it's a good thing that it had such uh, Oscar success with Chim Chim Chiri because that seemed like a pretty ridiculous sequence. They had something like 20 chimney sweeps all together in this <laughs> tiny little neighborhood. Uh, if you don't know, a chimney sweep can probably get to about 20 houses in a week. And you, back in that day, maybe you need to sweep your chimney four times a year. So each chimney sweep could cover about 250 houses. So if there are 20 of them, you need like 5,000 5, houses. And they just all like hopped over from one rooftop to the other. Very implausible. Oh, so unrealistic. I hate the movie now. Yeah. If they yeah. didn't if they didn't do it just for the song, then it really would have been just false. <laughs> Everything else in this movie seemed perfectly real. Practically perfect. I mean, as Mary Poppins is. Any other fun facts before we move on? Well, I did want to talk about uh, the wife, uh, Mrs. Banks, in her role as a suffragette. You know, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, kind of a, a, a weird thing in the movie, right? Mr. Banks seemed like the kind of guy who wouldn't let his wife join that sort of thing. Yeah, and we do hear Mrs. Banks making several comments about, like, hiding the sashes that say votes for women so that Mr. Banks won't see them because you know how the cause upsets him. Um, but so this is, I read this and I thought this was fascinating. Apparently they added that part to the story of making her really into the women's suffrage movement because they wanted some sort of explanation for why she was quote, so neglectful of her children. (laughs) And I just was thinking like, we really, I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I love the votes for women song, but couldn't we just give her a job? Like we have to do this weird thing like we've got to come up with some reason for why mom wouldn't be around all the time so well i like the idea that for nearly 60 years there's been a movie out there pushing the idea of like men's and women's equality right i mean if before the the suffragettes and the the votes for women movement women were a much smaller contributor to the economy would you be allowed to be a the real host of this podcast with me. <laughs> so yeah, the fact that women got the right to vote was a huge boost to economies all over the world. Everywhere that women got the right to vote, they saw a really big jump in their economic activity. So women got the right to vote in the United States um, in August of 1920. And in the UK, they were a couple years ahead of us. They got it in 1918. And there was a huge jump in economic activity. So these days, it's estimated that women contribute like roughly $7.6 trillion worth of economic activity to the United States and make up about almost 44% of the workforce. So it's definitely been a huge boost to the economy to empower women, give them the ability to be you know, in, well, not the ability, but recognize that they are. No, it was <laughs> Walt Disney is the one who created this yeah, ability. Uh-huh, they gave it to us. Um, yeah, just recognizing that women were, you know, humans and had brains and could do things other than just pop out babies. Um, so, yeah, I do think it was, you know, they were, Disney was kind of tiptoeing in that direction in 1964. It's funny that, uh, like, there were all these comments that Mrs. Banks made about like still keeping it in check. But uh, yeah, it was at least a toe in that direction, which is good. I did like the line in that, that song was it as a sex, they're rather stupid or something like that. Yeah. Hitting about the men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Individually men are lovely, but as a breed, they're rather stupid. It's <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, yeah. It's pretty, pretty good quote. Um, fun song. I'm happy they did it, but it still will always strike me as funny that they had to come up with some explanation of what she was doing with her time and landed on this. So 
Well, if you've listened this far and you still don't know the plot of Mary Poppins, I I don't know what happened in your life and, and how things have gotten this way. <laughs> uh, but the basic gist of the story is that there is a family, the Banks family, headed up by George Banks. George Banks. That's right. And his wife, Winifred. And in their home, they have uh, three uh, workers. They have a cook, a house cleaner, and a nanny. And the nanny's there to take care of their two children, Jane and Michael. And Jane and Michael seem to go through nannies pretty quickly. They're a difficult group of children, and just things aren't so perfect in the household. And the wonderful Mary Poppins, who's a bit magical, comes in and applies for a vacant nanny position and uh, gets the job, despite not being the type of person that Mr. Banks would really like for the role. And she really changes the nature of their household. She has this great friend, Bert, who... Uh, is some sort of jack of all trades kind of person. He's he does pretty much any job that you could do out on the street, and seems to love his life. And he and Mary Poppins seem to be the best of friends. And it's the story about how the Banks family gets it all put together and tries to improve their life a little bit. Yeah, that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. Uh, it's obviously a kids movie, but I think there are a lot of good money lessons that as grown ups we can take away from it. Yeah, I mean, it makes me sad to hear this a kid's movie. I really liked it. <laughs> I love this movie to this day, and imagine that I will love it until I am 96, like Dick Van Dyke. Fingers crossed we make it that long. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, if uh, I guess I should have also added that the whole movie is a musical, so uh, lots of songs here, and our first clip is actually a song that Mary Poppins sings as she's trying to get the kids to get their act together and clean up their rooms because their nursery or their bedroom, whatever it is, is just total chaos. Well, it depends on your point of view. You see, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap, the job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake, a lark, a spree. It's very clear to see. So this is the beginning of A Spoonful of Sugar, which I'm assuming most people know we're not going to play the whole thing because it's like three or four minutes. Um, but yeah, A Spoonful of Sugar makes the medicine go down, Robert. I read that the songwriter, the person who put that actual lyric together, was trying for weeks to come up with some sort of good idea. His kid had just come home from school and gotten the polio vaccine. Ooh. And he asked the kid, well, did it hurt? And the kid said, no, it's just a, they had me eat a, a sugar cube. Oh, that's so cute. I didn't know that story. Yeah. So basically, the change in the way that we administer medicine is what inspired the writer of that song to put that all together. Very cute. So what is your takeaway from this, Robert? Because you are a particularly good person to reflect on the message of this song, I think, because you are one of a very, I mean, like a couple people that I know in my life who genuinely love their jobs. Uh, you have been in the same position with a brief interlude for us to go backpacking and traveling around the world. Um, but other than that, you've been at the same job since 2005. That is 17 years. Um, we are old. And that's that's a long stretch. And for to the very best of my memory, you've had like a few bad days here and there. But by and large, you genuinely love your job so you have found the fun in every job there's to be done there is an element of fun you have definitely found the element of fun in your job 
tell us how you do it. Okay. I, I don't know if I picked this up for Mary Poppins as a kid, but w- when I heard this recently rewatching it, I totally agree. This is the way that I live my life. And I wish everybody did. And this, I, I should add, this is not a trivial thing to do. I think it's a skill that has to be worked on and, and honed and, and you need to flex those muscles regularly, but it's not hard. Like I think everything in life is a game. We take ourselves way too seriously about a lot of stuff. And I like to compete. I like to be silly. I like to enjoy myself. And I don't know why I can't do that when I'm doing something complicated or that is otherwise stressful, um, something that might seem boring on the surface. Why can't you turn it into a game? This is something that I've done my entire life. It's not just my job that I've had as an adult. When I was in high school, I worked at a grocery store. I was a courtesy clerk. My job was to bag groceries, take them out to people's cars, get the carts from the parking lot and bring them back into the store and a variety of other random tasks. So I love that job. It was so much fun. And I, I, I know it sounds silly. I was making minimum wage and, you know, the hours were inconsistent and it was random. And if you step back and look at it from a distance, it sounds like a terrible job. But I had a blast with it. I remember there was this cashier. His name was Jeremy. If you're listening to the show, Jeremy, that's just amazing. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that you actually would be. Um, he was the best cashier, in my opinion, at that time. There's a lot of great people at the store, but Jeremy, he was like a college-age guy. I was a high school student, and he was fast. He was really fast on the register and could push those groceries down with the best of them. And he and I never spoke about this, but when I got the opportunity to bag on Jeremy's lane, it was like a competition. <laughs> could he get the groceries to me faster than I could bag them? Ordinarily, the cashier is faster than the bagger, but you have to, I, I was pretty skilled in that department. Right. I'm a talented guy on the things that don't count. So anyway, in our job, that could you're standing there for hours on end. You're with people who are kind of in a hurry. They're, they're not excited to be at the grocery store. I was excited to go to work. I was excited to see if I could outdo Jeremy. I was excited. <laughs> you know, I wanted to not damage anybody's bananas and bread, but... You know, it was a lot of fun and everything was a game. When I had to go get the shopping carts out of the parking lot, it was always a question of like, what's the best way to optimize this route? Can I can I push eight carts in at once without losing one on the end and having it ram into somebody's car? Can I do this in two trips, knowing that there's going to be more carts coming with each trip into the store and back outside? Hmm. I mean, totally fun. I got to be a cashier at some point, And one of my favorite things to do was, you know, memorizing the produce codes or the UPC codes for common items, like on a head of green leaf lettuce, or excuse me, a head of iceberg lettuce. I think this was a Dole product at the time. The UPC code used to be 33383-65020. Go check it out in your refrigerators, people. Um, <laughs> memorizing those things and keeping those with you is a ton of fun. And I, it, like that's just the way that I live my life. A, a 24-pack of soda or something like that that nobody wanted to lift out of their cart and put it up on the... On the conveyor belt, just memorize the UPC code, key it in, no big deal, everybody wins. Perfect. So I did that at a simpler job, but I've done the same thing at a grown-up job. Um, And you say I've had the same role. I've had a lot of different roles over that time, and some of them have had a variety of different elements. I used to have to do a decent bit of data entry, right? I would analyze utility bills to understand our customers' energy usage, and effectively we'd get paper copies of, of their past energy usage from their utility company. And we have to go extract the relevant information. It's like a game for me to see how fast I could do that. Or maybe we needed to key in weather data from one data source to put into another system that wasn't able to communicate because it was a long time ago and information systems were terrible. 
And I'd sit there with a 10 key, popping in the high and low temperature every day from something or other, trying to get it done as quickly as I could, not making any mistakes. It was just get into a rhythm and just enjoy the kind of fun. Or uh, I've done a lot of different simulation type stuff. And it's always exciting to me to make sure that the result matches reality and getting as close as possible with a, a minimal amount of effort and not over-investing to go do that. Or I do a lot of conceptual estimating today. And I'm at the beginning stages of a project and I have to try to figure out what something is going to cost or how much savings are going to be there at the end of the project. And we've got a lot of tools to help do this, but it is, I don't know if there's anything more fun than putting together a preliminary number and then watching all the details come together and seeing like how close or far away you are from what your original anticipated value is going to be. And just kind of seeing it all come together and that feeling of satisfaction when you were right, like when your instinct with just a little bit of information ended up being reasonably close and right enough and and you gave good expectations in the in the early stages of development of a project. I know I probably sound a little bit nerdy at the moment. <laughs> Not at all. I, can't, I mean, you've only been talking for like eight minutes. Anyway, Mary Poppins is so effing right. Like we should find <laughs> the fun in damn near everything. If I'm mowing the lawn, I want to see if I can optimize my route back and forth, up and down. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I, if I decide to take the time to do something, it's, it's not going to be hard to find a little bit of fun inside of it. Okay, I love you for all of this. It's genuinely one of my favorite traits about you. And I think it's fantastic. I do think that you're, you have like slightly rose colored glasses because you, you have always been in an environment where one, you felt like the work that you were doing was important and it mattered, right? Even like at the grocery store, I mean, that stuff mattered. You wanted to- You take- got to put those returns back on the right shelf. I mean, that, and you know, you've got people- who are coming to you for food that's where they get their sustenance and you're trying to help them get it to their car and you're trying to make sure that you don't overcharge people or undercharge people and shortchange your employer and you want to like take good care of the food. You package things or you bag things very carefully, right? So you're not smooshing the bread. And I think that mattered to you and that's a big part of why it felt important. I do think there are a lot of jobs out there where it's it's a lot harder to find something to get excited about I may or may not have had some of those jobs, but I, I do think that in almost everything, it is possible to find things that can be challenging, rewarding, enjoyable. And for me, I was always able to find stuff like that. In addition, something that often helped me was to just add another layer of enjoyment on top of it. So like if I was in my office at my old law firm job, writing a brief until like 11 o'clock at night, I would always be doing it with my headphones on, blasting techno music. And it just helped me get in a groove and, you know, have something that was keeping me upbeat and keeping me going. So I do think even if you're not able to find like true enjoyment out of something, you can layer on additional things that make it more fun. When I'm doing like kind of menial tasks like cleaning, I'm almost always listening to a podcast at the same time, which is both purposeful, right? I'm like learning something or enjoying something and I'm getting something else done and it's like way more fun than it would be if I was just folding laundry and not doing anything else. So before we move on, are there any favorite techno bands that you want to share for our audience? I mean, I was always a big fan of The Prodigy. That's my go-to. I realize that's very old school and not super, not super hip these days. But is that actually techno? I feel like it's it's in the ballpark. Okay. 
but yeah, the prodigy was a big, big one for me. Is it the prodigy or just prodigy? I'm pretty sure it's the prodigy. Hmm. Wouldn't stake my life on it, but great band. Love their music. Thanks, the prodigy. You got me through some very difficult late nights. <laughs> In any event, I do think that Mary Poppins is so right. You are so right. It's so great when you can find a little bit of fun in something, even if you know, you've been doing it for a really long time and you're tired and it's hard. And I think that's the time when you have to do it, when you're most sick of doing something and it feels so unpleasant. Yeah. That's the time when you have to think about well, what would make this better or what, why is this fun? Like, why should I not be annoyed? I'm having to do this. Yeah. You should think, why am I lucky to be getting to do this? Yeah, it's a challenge and it's a challenge that not everyone is always up for. But I think the more often you can dig, dig deep and find that attitude in life, the happier you're going to be. So I highly agree. Just think you've been luckier than most in the job department and you should. I think I'm luckier than most in my innate ability to to really have these, you know, find the fun muscles. Yeah, no, but both of those things are true. I agree. So let's move on to our next clip because there is a lot of really good, like actual finance stuff in this movie, which is not super typical for a kid's movie. So in our next clip, we are hearing Jane and Michael who are accompanying their father to his job at the Fidelity Fiduciary Bank where he works. And Jane and Michael have been talking to Mary Poppins the night before about this visit to the bank, which is kind of a big deal for Mr. Banks. Um, I don't think I caught when I was a kid that Mr. Banks works at the bank, but anyway. Um, is this like from the office when Dwight says his dentist's name is Crentus? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, they're going with Mr. Banks to the bank, and they've been talking to Mary Poppins about the woman who feeds the birds, and the kids think that's lovely, and they really want to feed the birds. Feed the birds. Tuppence the bird. Please, may we feed the birds? Whatever for? I have tuppence from my money box. Just this once, please. Waste your money on a lot of ragamuffin birds? Certainly not. But Mary Poppins... I am not interested in what Mary Poppins says, nor do I wish to keep hearing her name for the remainder of the day, and I come along. But it's my tuppence. Michael, I will not permit you to throw your money away. When we get to the bank, I shall show you what may be done with your tuppence, and I think you'll find it extremely interesting. So we live in America... It's 2022. Nobody knows what a tuppence is, Carla. <laughs> That's true. In fact, I didn't know how to spell the word tuppence. I assumed it was T-U-P-P-I-N-S, which is really embarrassing on reflection. But uh, I think that's like leftover childhood spelling in my brain. But um, yeah, tuppence is actually T-U-P-P-E-N-C-E. And it is kind of like a, a mishmash of two and pence. So it becomes just tuppence. Uh, and it is two pence, which means like two pennies. So not a lot of money that we're talking about. Okay. Um, now, I have to admit as a child and even as an adult, I was kind of on the side of Mr. Banks. Like who cares about feeding the birds? What I think is important to know is that also here in 2022, at this cathedral that this lady's in front of, it is now illegal to feed those birds. Well, I mean... Given the popularity of the movie, it would probably just be covered in bird shit. 100% that, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So that's no good, more feeding the birds. That's a good rule, though. That's a good... Yeah. I support that rule. I'm sure the birds will find people to feed them elsewhere. 
I suspect you have a different opinion about feeding the birds being as soft as you are. Well, I do love animals and I do like giving them sustenance. But uh, I think this whole thing about feeding the birds, this is kind of a a stand-in for charity and also just enjoyment, right? The kids are excited to like go through the actual act of feeding the birds. It's cool to have them like swoop down and you know, land on your arm even. And like, it's fun. And it's also kind of a charitable thing to do. So I think it's also supporting the woman who is feeding the birds, right? That's her livelihood as she sells bird seed. So I think what Mary Poppins was trying to do by telling the kids about this bird woman and the birds themselves is sort of plant the seed that, hey, <laughs> a seed. Get, get it? <laughs> so dad works at the bank. He's going to talk to you all about like investing and frugality. But you should also keep in mind there are people who have less than you and it's good to give to them. And it's nice to enjoy the money you have instead of just focusing on, you know, investing all of it. So I think the bird woman is kind of a, a figure that represents all of those things in life. I suppose. I think she's just the predecessor to that bird lady in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. They do bear some similarities. <laughs> that is true. Um, no, you're right. It, it certainly is a story for the children to realize that you don't have to put every dollar to work for you in order to have a productive and happy life. And that there are many other things that you should consider spending your resources on and maybe get to a little bit different balance than Mr. Banks has. Um, I don't... I don't. I think they probably could have come up with a better stand-in than feeding the birds, but. But the song "Feed the Birds" is so good. It is one of the worst in the movie. Although I did read that I think it's Walt Disney's favorite. I love it. I think it's so pretty. Blech. I like. I like the slow songs in Mary Poppins, which is weird because in real life I tend to favor much faster, slightly angrier music, a la The Prodigy. In any event. I'm a fan of the Penguin song. The Penguin song is also quite solid. (laughs) What is your favorite song from the movie? So, I don't know if it's my favorite song, but it's my favorite segment. Um, It's the I Love to Laugh. Oh, it's so good. Going to Uncle Albert's (laughs) place and having a tea party on the ceiling. And just, uh, like I said, it's no different than my finding the fun in work. I like to find the fun in damn near everything. Yeah, I totally agree. It's It's so much fun to laugh. We should give a shout out to our friend, J.A., who is here visiting us recently. And we just laughed like crazy the whole time that he was here. Just giggle fit after giggle fit. It's just the most fun thing in the world when you can have people you're really close to and just laugh. And it's one of the best feelings in the world. So, yeah, I love that song, too. Yeah, it's incredibly restorative. If I had to pick just the song itself, probably Chim Chim Cheree. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. So, weirdo bird lady, right? Michael wants to spend his money there, but his dad says, oh, let's go to the bank and we'll see what they'll do with it. Um, He's got a tuppence. It's two pennies. It is 1910. uh, So maybe money was a little bit different than then, but like, aren't there minimum bank balances you have to have in order to open (laughs) stuff up? I can't imagine if I walk in with like a roll of pennies to a bank today, uh, like a 50 pence, whatever that would be. Um, Are they going to let me open a savings account? Probably not. So most checking and savings accounts have a minimum balance. It's going to vary from bank to bank. I think on the low end, you might be looking at like $25. 
But yeah, typically it's going to be into the hundreds of dollars. Yeah, I have to imagine the record keeping fees for keeping track of your tuppence is going to be a problem. It's also going to be really hard to earn interest on your tuppence. Yep. Yeah, like how, how, yep. <laughs> how's that going to work? Yep. These are all valid points. All right. Well, <laughs> um, probably something more valid to talk about is this whole idea that Mary Poppins is giving the kids one idea of what they should do for their money future. And the banker, Mr. Banks, is giving them a total different idea. And I think parents have a struggle here, right? Because kids get information from all kinds of sources, right? They, yeah. I mean, his kids are being influenced by a nanny that they've known for a couple of days more so than they were being influenced by him, their father, who lived with them their whole lives. And it's got to be really difficult to help impart your particular message when kids are hearing information from so many different places with so many different voices. What do you think? Well, I think the real message here is that it matters so much how you talk to your children about money and also the foundation that you've built with them and whether they're going to be willing to trust you when it comes to things like that. So Mary Poppins, as you point out, has known them for like a couple of days at this point, but she's so fun. She's so likable that they're willing to just eat up everything she says with a spoon and take it to heart. Whereas with her own dad, he seems to be, I don't I wouldn't call him an absentee father. He comes home at like six o'clock on the spot every night. So he's not around. 601. 601, Carla. <laughs> I think he has his cigar at 601, Robert. Oh, I thought that was at 602. We need to rewatch this movie for the timing. So important. But he's he's around. I get the feeling it's just like when he's home, he's not really doing much with them. So he's not built that foundation with them that would have the effect that he wants it. Like when it's time for him to start giving real life advice and financial advice, his kids are just sort of like, Eh, whatever. We don't really, we don't really like you. We don't really, they barely know their own father. That's kind of how it comes across. So they're not like lapping up the advice that he gives them. Also, he's presenting it in a very dry, colorless way. And it's about to get even worse in the next clip. So like he's, he's not thinking about things from their perspective and how, like what's actually going to stick with them and what's going to resonate and be exciting to them. I think you're right. It is more than just how you have that kind of money conversation. It's how your whole relationship is framed. And you're not going to be that lead influencer in your children's life if you're not able to connect with them where they are. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just that Mary Poppins is fun. She's like very reliable, right? She takes great care of the kids. Um, she just does that in a, in a fun way. She's not like some pushover or anything. Um, so yeah, I think Mr. Banks could definitely stand to take a leaf out of Mary Poppins' book which by the end of the movie, he does. So that's a good thing. <laughs> Gotta warn the listeners about those spoilers, Carla. <laughs> Come on. Is this this is this is the oldest movie that we've done so far? I think it is, 1965. Yes. Four. Yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good. All right. Well, Mr. Banks is taking his kids to his job, to the bank, to bring him his tuppence. Um, let's hear what the bank has to say. If you invest your tuppence wisely in the bank safe and sound soon that tuppence safely invested in the bank will come pound 
and you'll achieve that sense of conquest as your affluence expands in the hands of the directors who invest <laughs> as propriety <laughs> demands. So, <laughs> gotta love it. If you've been living under a rock and didn't realize this, Dick Van Dyke plays the old man banker and the one singing here. And this is his impression of an old person. I wonder if he looks back on this now that he's 96 and wonders, uh, hey, did I get it right? <laughs> That's a good question. He seems much more vital at, in real life at age 96 than this guy, who I think what, is 94 in the movie. The character uh, is supposed to be 94, I think. That is a detail that I totally missed, but he definitely seems old. So before they gave him this part, like Dick Van Dyke was lobbying for it. Yeah. And they were kind of like, no, come on, that's, we don't need to do that. And he was goofing around with some of the people on set doing some little move where he was like bringing his leg down. Like, you know, how when you're old and not as limber and spry, it's not easy to take steps down. You could lose your balance and really hurt yourself. Yeah. And so he was just kind of joking around about what that's like. And everyone was just hooting and hollering and have a blast with it. And they decided they were going to give him that part. And then they built in a step in the bank. Like he actually does that same sort of yeah. thing in the movie <laughs> because they enjoyed his impression of that so much. That that wasn't part of the original script. Yeah. He just does a phenomenal job as the senior Mr. Dawes. That's the name of the character. So this is like the head honcho at the bank. I don't know what his actual role was, but like the owner, CEO, whatever you want to call it. and He's one of the named partners in the bank. Yes. And he is singing to little Jane and Michael about investing in the Fidelity Fiduciary Bank. And there's a couple of things that I want to talk about here. So first of all, he's, he says you'll achieve that sense of conquest if you invest in the bank. Um, which one is funny in light of the numbers that we're about to get into, but also I think is a valid point to just consider on its own. Do you, in, you and I invest, right? We've got retirement savings and like, do you invest in order to achieve a sense of conquest? Well, I didn't at the beginning, but as my affluence has expanded, <laughs> uh, no, I don't really think about automatic payroll withdrawals into a retirement account. As giving me a sense of conquest, but maybe I should. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about how you like to gamify everything and retirement savings in a way is kind of a game, right? It's fun to like maximize it as much as you can. It's fun to like be frugal. I think this is a major life hack. If you can make it fun to be frugal because you're working towards some other really big goal then it is kind of a conquest, right? It's sort of a game and you're excited in order to hit your savings goals instead of being excited to like go buy another pair of shoes or something. I just would say that if I'm going to the bank and I'm dropping off a couple of tuppence or even like, I don't know, a silver dollar, <laughs> I walk in and I flip it to the uh, <laughs> the teller and say, put it on my tab, <laughs> put it in my account, please. I don't know that I'll feel a sense of conquest. Yeah, it, it's definitely kind of a silly thing. And I do, I think it's important to be straight in your own mind about why you are investing, right? 
You're doing this to build a happy way for yourself. You're doing this to protect yourself from accidents and life events that will almost certainly befall you because they befall almost everyone, right? So it's not about like achieving some sort of conquest and taking over the world. It's about protecting yourself. It's about chasing your dreams. So so he's begging Michael to put his tuppence in the hands of the directors mm-hmm. who invest as propriety <coughs> demands. <laughs> uh, yes. So if Michael follows through and does this, <laughs> what's he st- stand to gain? Okay. So Reddit can be a dangerous place on the internet. It can also be a genuinely delightful place. There is a subreddit called They Did the Math, and somebody actually sat down and did the math on what little Michael stood to gain if he had invested, quote unquote, with the Fidelity Fiduciary Bank and given them his two pence, two pennies. So what this person did was they looked at the interest rates that were offered by the Bank of England historically over the course of Michael's lifespan, his hypothetical lifespan. So this movie takes place in 1910. That's when it's set. And at that point, I think Michael is like nine years old. And in the UK at the time, the average life expectancy was about 48 years old, which is shockingly low. Now, Michael was from the upper crust of society. Surely he's going to beat that. Yeah, he is very likely to beat that. And this subredditor, ETRebel16, that's the username, shout out to you, lots of fun. Um, What he calculated was, let's just double that. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he makes it to, that would be 96, right? So... Is it really Dick Van Dyke? (laughs) It might be Dick Van Dyke. Did Dick Van Dyke play three roles? Is he Michael, Bert, and the old banker? Correct. That is correct. Damn. He's such a chameleon. So according to the published interest rates from the Bank of England at the time, if he had invested his two pence in 1910, if he had lived to the average life expectancy and died at age 48, that would have been uh, in 1948 then he would have had, drum roll please, 7.9 pence to his name. No, you mean 7.9 pounds. Nope, I mean pence. I mean pennies. If he had lived double that and made it until 1998, that's a year we're familiar with, we were alive and kicking then, he would have had 45 pence. 45 cents, 45 pennies, that is what we're talking about here. I think his conquest to be gained was a little overblown by all these old dudes singing to him and the Fidelity Fiduciary Bank. Do you think you could have bought a bag of bird seed in the park in 1998 for 45 pence? Mm, tough question. I think you could have. Probably. Probably. I mean, maybe a, very, maybe a really small bag. Mm-hmm. Or he could have done it when it was nine and it would have been like super memorable and he would have had a happy memory. I don't feel like he had that much to gain by putting it into the bank as this lovely subreddit has calculated for us. So Now, we should probably mention that this is investing in a savings account in a bank, not investing in like equities or you know stocks or other properties or any other forms of investing. Yes. And putting your money in a savings account is not 
at least in today's world, thought of as that great of an investment. And I'm sure there are many periods over the last hundred years where that was also true. Yeah. I really don't think of it as investing at all to put things into a savings account. It's just like, it's a relatively safe parking spot when you're not in periods of high inflation that's eroding away at the value of your savings, which as I'm guessing most people know, as we record this in August of 2022, we definitely are. So savings accounts are really terrible places to keep money, especially right now. So little Michael, although investing in general is very solid advice and it's great to start saving as young as you possibly can, he did not have that much to gain from investing in just a boring old savings account. Well, let's bring it all the way back to the movie, right? So we got Jane and Michael. They are in the bank. The old man tries to take their tuppence and they aren't having it. And so they grab it back. Michael says he wants his money. He wants his money back. <laughs> and everybody around says, what? Does people want their money out of the bank? Is the bank having problems? They can't give me my money? And they accidentally create a run on the bank. Everybody is trying to withdraw all their money. And it is a horrible thing. Like, it's terrible when this happens. And it's complete chaos. But I feel like we haven't heard about runs on the bank in a while. Yeah. I mean... It's not a thing that really happens anymore, given the FDIC insurance that is now in existence for every, well, not every bank account, but any FDIC insured bank, which is going to be almost all like reputable banks. Don't go to some like tiny little one room brick house in the middle (laughs) of nowhere, but like most banks are going to be FDIC insured, which means that any money that you put into a bank is going to be backed by the federal government up to $250,000 per person per account. So if you put money into these accounts, even if there is a run on the bank, the government has your back. They will give you that money back, which caused a lot of confidence, which thereby meant that runs on the bank were a thing that didn't really happen anymore. So just by putting that backstop there, they almost ended the problem of runs on banks. Okay. Well, the kids do run out of the bank when the run on the bank happens and yeah. they, you know, they're terrified. They've really disappointed their father and they think they're going to be in big, big trouble and they get a little bit lost in some, uh, neighborhood and they run into their old friend, Bert, who, uh, today is working as a chimney sweep and they have a little talk with him about, uh, some perspective. You know, making your part of but the one my aunt goes out to is your father. There he is. In that cold, artless bank, day after day, hemmed in by mounds of cold, artless money. I don't like to see any living thing caged up. Father, in a cage? They makes cages in all sizes and shapes, you know. Bank shapes, some of them, carpets and all. Father's not in trouble. We are. Oh, sure about that, are you? Look at it this way. You've got your mother to look after you, and Mary Poppins, and Constable Jones, and me. Who looks after your father? Tell me that. Okay. I, have, I haven't listened to Burton in a little while after thinking about how bad his accent was. And yeah, it's not good. It's not great, but I'm still so sucked in by the charm. It doesn't bother me. Okay. Um, so, you know what, though, that I did read that I thought was really funny? Apparently, he was so upset about the whole like fallout over his accent that when he did the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang later, everyone else in that movie is British, but he was like, not doing it, guys. I'm sticking with my American <laughs> accent. You can blow it out your ass if you want me to do an English accent again because I'm not doing it. Uh, anyway, 
<laughs> so, okay, I hear this clip and immediately what I think is like, Bert is basically telling them, don't grow up. It's a trap. Admiral Akbar voice. It's a trap. Don't do it. And in a way, he's kind of right. You know, they're, growing up is, it comes with a lot of responsibilities. I think when we're kids, at a certain age, we look at grownups and just feel like they run the world. They know what's going on. They have everything under control. It must be so nice to be in their shoes because they can do whatever they want. They're making all the decisions. And then you grow up to be an adult yourself and realize like, one, nobody actually knows what they're doing. We're all flying by the seat of our pants. And two, yeah, we get to do whatever we want with our lives, but as long as we go to work and have enough to pay for all of the things that we need and are able to like feed our children, I mean, it's a lot of responsibility to stand in those shoes. Yeah, it's tough. You don't have anybody looking out for you. I mean, many people do have a small safety net from family and loved ones who are going to help them out. But yeah, once you once you leave the nest, it's on you. Yeah, It's your job to, to make it all happen, which can be pretty difficult. And when you have your own family that you're responsible for, it just adds to the stress. And yeah, Bert's right. They're like, who is looking after Mr. Banks? Who is helping him out? Maybe that's why he's such an unpleasant old man and so cruel to his kids and just no fun at all that he just you know he's just stressed out yeah what is that 21 pilot song stressed out and wake up you need to make money do, do you think mr banks is fighting any of the golden handcuffs that sometimes happen to people where they're in a role in life that they don't love but they do love their paycheck so they just sort of stick with it because it seems like such a bad life decision not to it is such a common phenomenon among high earners. You know, they have the ability to save like crazy if they want to, to give themselves an out to live a different kind of life if they want to. But very few people actually choose to do it because they get a taste of the nicer things and they want to stick with that. Like whatever it takes to keep driving this BMW and eating at the hot new restaurant every Friday night. Like, of course, that's what I'm going to do these restaurants are delicious. Have you eaten there? So yeah, it's so common to fall into that mindset and just become beholden to that lifestyle, which I think is great for some people because they genuinely get a lot of enjoyment out of it and hopefully like the careers that they're in as well. But there are a lot of people out there who are just grinding away at that axe, not loving it, not finding the element of fun in their job, right? Um, and just refusing to do anything about it because it would mean a huge paradigm shift and lifestyle shift. So true. I don't know that Mr. Banks is, he's a victim of the golden handcuffs, right? He, he seems to actually like what he does, right? Didn't he have some quote about just how exciting it was? Like he found a little bit of the fun in his job, right? I think so. And when lining up all the numbers. And, yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, um, he gets fired. Yeah, he loses his job after the kids do the run on the bank. And let's talk about him getting fired because <laughs> like the whole procedure, they have him come in at nine o'clock at night yeah. and they go like humiliate him, right? He has like a, a flower that he's wearing on his lapel and they like rip off all the petals and <laughs> they, uh, they just... take his hat and like punch a hole in it. I have always wanted to punch a hole in a hat the way that the younger Mr. Dawes punches a hole in Mr. Banks's bowler. It looks so fun. I mean, Can we this... make that our new life goal to punch hats? 
Uh, no, because this isn't their property. Like, did the bank provide him with a uniform hat? This is his damn hat. Why do they get the right to go punch a hole in it just because they're firing him? No, it's it's objectively terrible, but I still want to do it. We can, we'll buy the hats, so then they'll be our hats, and then we can destroy them because they're ours. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I cut you off. The whole firing thing was crazy. He loses his job, but he gets it back, and he seems pleased, right? Yeah, he seems so happy about it at the end of the movie. Now, at that point, he does seem just pretty happy about everything in general. Um, Mary Poppins has, like, officially rubbed it off on him. But, yeah, he seems pretty thrilled to be getting his job back. So I, I think that's a, a really good sign that he does seem to have at least some enjoyment out of it. Okay. Well, I do feel like he took the job loss pretty poorly, right? I mean, he he goes kind of br- like just batshit, right? Yeah. <laughs> he starts saying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious like in there to all these people who are like, say what? Jigga what? <laughs> Uh, we just punched a hole in your hat, man. What are you talking about? Uh, he repeats the 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 funny joke that was told at Uncle Albert's about uh, he knew a, a guy with a wooden leg named Smith. What was the name of his other leg? Yeah, which is great. Is 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 well done with those two guys, and then Michael delivered it poorly to the dad, and then the dad <laughs> delivers it just as poorly to the bankers. They're all like, "What the hell is wrong with you, man?" And so he leaves the bank. And we don't see him come directly home. That's right? true. He's out all night. Who yeah. knows what Mr. Banks was up to? I know, like some Sketchy. troublesome stuff. Sketchy. Right? Because in the morning, the wife is like, hey, Mr. Banks didn't come home last night. We don't know what the deal is. The constable is there. They're looking for him. And then he comes inside and, or he comes up from around the back of the house or wherever it was and he'd repaired their kite. And they do that sort of thing. But I, like, where the hell was he all night? Was he out drinking? Was he just like really mopey and slowly made the trudge home because his life was upended from losing this job? It's very unclear. No no clues whatsoever as to where Mr. Banks might have been all night. I mean, he does repair the kite, but surely that didn't take all night. The repair job didn't look that good. Yeah, it really didn't. So. It didn't even have a tail. They had to use a votes for women uh, sash to make a tail. Correct. So, yeah. I don't know, Mr. Banks. Hmm. Very suspicious. Yeah, I, I just don't think he handled that firing very well. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure it's tough in any moment to lose your job as a surprise and have someone dictate something to you, especially if it was a role that you enjoyed in your life. Yeah. Well, so the movie ends on a very happy note, right? Everyone goes to the park to fly a kite, and Mr. Banks runs into all his banking buddies or former buddies. At the park, also flying kites. Yeah. It's a little random. This is the dumbest thing ever, right? <laughs> he tells his dumb jokes that he delivers poorly, like he does not have the chops to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> and the old banker guy eventually, like after, I guess, thinking about it for a long time, realizes that, hey, that is kind of a funny joke. And just like at Uncle Albert's house, he floats up to the ceiling and literally dies laughing. Yep. He literally dies laughing. At which point, apparently, his son and all his friends and colleagues went to the park to fly kites. Yeah, like when the leader of your bank dies, you know, like your employer, this like stable part of your community dies. Isn't your reaction to go within 12 hours to pull out a kite and take it to the park and uh, meet up with Mr. Banks and decide that he was such a shitty employee that they he caused a run on the bank. He couldn't even convince his own children to invest their money with him. <laughs> But because he poorly delivered a joke, he's worthy of being made a partner in the bank once again? Yeah. What? Yeah, gets his job back with a promotion. 
All because he told a D minus joke. <laughs> yeah, I really don't silly. get why they're at the park. Also, I don't get it. Like that guy is who's flying the kite, who gives him his job back. His father just died, <laughs> like just hours ago, and he's you know just in the park yucking it up, flying a kite. I mean, it's, it's not like he knew that George was going to be there. It's not like he's. It's not like he got a report. Oh, George is at the. He's at the park flying a kite. Why don't we go down and tell him about this new opening we have for him? Yeah, it's a little silly. I guess in a in a rosy way of looking at it, you know, he lived a lovely long life and maybe we should celebrate lives instead of mourning them. But come on, this is silly. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think we all take death in different ways and it's great to be able to, to celebrate and cherish the memories and have some fun. But this is a surprise death. It's not like he was... In failing health, I mean, he did cough a lot in that song. <laughs> That's true. But it, I don't think anybody thought he was going to pass that day. I certainly didn't. Yeah, it caught me by surprise as a child. Yeah. It's a very yep. dark time. Yeah. Well, what can you do? Life goes on, or does it? Um, I mean, if you're a chimney sweep, probably not for as long as it was for the old banker. That's so but... true. That's probably why the life expectancy was so long. Cause they had all, <laughs> they those... had all those damn chimney sweeps. Chimney sweeps those guys don't live down. that long. Yeah, no way. Not a happy thing. Well, on that chipper note, chim chimney, chim chim tree, whatever it is. Uh, I think that about wraps it up for us for Mary Poppins. Yes. We hope you love to laugh. And we hope you had fun with us today. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next time. Take care.